Hello, everyone. Uh, Welcome to the NDI Politics Podcast, where we explore the Georgian political landscape through in-depth interviews with leaders and shakers on issues facing the nation. This project would not be possible without the technical and moral support from the Georgian Institute for Public Affairs, JIPA, and Radio JIPA. My name is Laura Thornton, NDI Global Associate and Senior Director based here in Tbilisi. It is May 23rd. Today's podcast will focus on gender equality and women's political participation in Georgia. While the Constitution ensures equal rights and opportunities for both men and women, women continue to face multiple cultural and societal barriers to equal participation in many aspects of life. According to NDI's public opinion research, 64% of Georgians believe that there is no gender equality in the country. However, very encouragingly, Georgians would like to see more women in politics, and the majority believes that this would have a positive impact on Georgian society. Here to explore this subject today are four distinguished guests. Tamar Chukashvili, the first vice speaker of parliament. Alen Koshtaria, a member of parliament from the opposition European Georgia party. Anna Arganashvili, a lawyer and a child activist. And NDI's very own, uh, Teona Kapunia, who is a gender expert and a valued member of the NDI team. I'm so delighted that you are all here. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you. So first, to get started, as I mentioned in my opening, uh, Georgians, majority of Georgians do not believe currently that there is gender equality in the country. I think that's probably par for the course for most countries in the world. Um, And as in most countries, the reasons for this are multiple and deeply rooted. But what would you identify today as some of the key hurdles uh, facing women? And uh, why don't I start with you, Tamar? Sure. Once again, thank you very much for this very good opportunity. And um, I agree with the majority of Georgians saying that there is no uh, the actual gender equality in Georgia, and we all have a lot of work to do together to achieve that. So uh, speaking about the reasons, it's very complex and very complicated, but uh, the signs of our inequality are multiple. And uh, starting from the um, economic equality, for example, the property rights, the access to property, access to uh, uh, workforce, access to different uh, programs that are out there for women's economic uh, uh, encouragement. And uh, um, uh, so on economic front, we see women having facing a huge uh, wage gap, which means that uh, women, even if employed, get much less income for the same work uh, uh, rather than men. Um, We see uh, the most of the family obligations uh, on women's shoulders rather than on men. And obviously, this is something that then prevents uh, women from engaging into political activities. Mm -hmm. We see um, the unequal, uh, much less representation of, of women in a decision-making process on different levels, starting from the local municipalities, local sacrebulos, or the national level in parliament, in government, in different important decision-making positions. And we obviously see women much more uh, subjected to an uh, violent treatment also in families but beyond to sexual harassment to different forms of discrimination 
than men. So uh, this is uh, why I think that the efforts that we undertake in Parliament jointly with uh, Elena and with uh, other members of the Parliament for creating the proper legislation uh, and also for uh, introducing the special measures that would help women to overcome these challenges are very, very important. Elena, do you yeah. have Thanks, thanks for having us and thanks for this uh, discussion. Yeah, I, I share the concerns of the uh, of the population, of public, and also for what Tamara stressed. Uh, I would also like to add that um, there is a difference uh, of. Uh, uh, of this challenge in the regions and in the capital. Mm. And sometimes when you come to Georgia, they're very, how to say, uh, the first impression may be, oh, look, how many deputy ministers, how many you know active women you have here in the capital and how business women. But actually, if you look deeper into the society, uh, then of course, especially in the regions, there is a huge also cultural uh, barrier, which is um, we have to think how to overcome. But good part of the story, I think, is uh, that the very active activists uh, that have caused and pushed the discussion in the society, it, it's not a marginal issue anymore. Because if you compare, for example, discussions in the parliament about women's rights like 10 years ago, or even like five, six, seven years ago, uh, it, it, it was a kind of marginal issue. And there were kind of jokes at the government sessions about these issues like, oh, look, we have two women here. Or like, uh, I even remember a discussion, uh, I was shocked, uh, in 2006, when there was uh, a, a, an issue was discussed in the parliament about the violence against the women. And one parliamentarian said, a man, of course, said uh, that, you know, in Georgian traditions, uh, men um, uh, never uh, commit violence against women if there is no ground. <laughs> so don't worry about that. So it's, of course, it's not the common uh, feeling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, uh, so it's, uh, and, and of course, uh, the activists mostly, and also, uh, not because I'm here, India and this kind of international organizations have pushed this uh, issue into a more central. Now, we are here, people uh, who do not fully share, for example, me and Tamar, uh, we have different attitudes toward quotas, whether it's mm -hmm. a, not because we, we don't believe in women's rights and gender equality, but uh, we have different views of how, uh, uh, whether it's solution or not. But the good thing is that, that the discussion is there, and we argue, and, and we uh, talk and we uh, and we're looking for the solution and that's a positive sign of course absolutely um, on the sort of societal front I'll turn over to Anna as well I mean one one thing that's obviously been discussed and it's it's very sensitive um, is you know pointing to religion uh, as a contributing factor to some sense in, mm -hmm. in sort of stereotypes in society as certainly that's true in, in multiple other countries as well. And given that Georgians are very deeply committed to the church and given that the church, they even want the church, according to our recent research, to play a big role in political life. Um, so are there ways we can build more compatibility with an equal rights agenda and a adherence to religious values? Yeah, thank you. Um, first of all, I always ask to myself whether it is religion or religious institutions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because, exactly. Well, uh, in a lot of times, religious institutions want to, well, position themselves as a religion. But I think institutions usually have to follow some structures, traditions, power, games, unfortunately, sometimes finance as well. So, well, 
if Georgian population has more uh, in-depth knowledge about the history of the development of religious institutions, then I think maybe there would be more criticism, more development of the ideas which should not be taken for granted because all the ideas are subject of discussion, right? So I'm, I'm really positive. I believe that if in our educational system there is more civic education, mm -hmm. explaining the differences between st among structures and people and movements and historical uh, events, then this could change. However, at this point, I agree that a lot of stereotypes, unfortunately, are reinforced by people who position themselves very strong in religious institutions. However, I'm really, I'm really grateful that we have women in parliament who can go against those stereotypes. And I, I remember discussions about anti-discrimination legislation. And yes, there were a lot of representatives from religious institutions opposing to the bill, but we really had very brave women who said, this is secular state and we need to have EU legislation, driven legislation, anti-discrimination legislation. So we're really on the development path. And it seems that, I mean, there has been a way to thread that needle. I mean, we've seen in other countries people that can talk about the compatibility between a, being a deeply religious Absolutely. person and Absolutely. respecting human dignity I mean, and, and actually Absolutely. using religion as a basis for respecting. Absolutely. I can give a very concrete example. For example, in a lot, in a lot of countries, the religious institutions are active in child care, but that doesn't mean that they should not follow laws. So in Georgia, what we say is that Orthodox Church, unfortunately, has founded child orphanages which are against the law, but they can be part of law-regulated child care system, and they are welcome to be so. So we really need to have more open discussion with them and to, well, collaborate. May I jump in just yeah. a bit? Yeah, so, yeah, sorry, sure, Tehona, sure, no because it's an extremely important topic which is manipulated in public discussion. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it, it's a kind of... A, message or narrative the church or uh, uses that uh, the women's rights it's something against Georgians against Georgian traditions or the religion and both mm -hmm. is false because mm -hmm. we have a, and, and Tamara can talk about that because she has done a lot including mm -hmm. the public uh, exhibition in the parliament about our history of Georgian uh, uh, first women elected in the parliament in early uh, 20s mm -hmm. so we have a very rich tradition uh, I would say even state tradition and recent tradition uh, of women being very active uh, integrated into political and social life uh, and also from the religious perspective it has nothing to do with religion yeah. that to beating a woman in the, or whatever attitudes toward woman is has nothing to do with religion it's just something that is manipulated by certain institutions and people sorry yeah and so the trick of course is how do you how do you criticize those teachings without criticizing the religion overall mm -hmm. and I think that because as soon as you point out these flaws sometimes you get attacked as being anti-religious or anti-church mm -hmm. Tana did you? Yeah, um, well that happens and I completely agree with both um, uh, Anna and Elena about this religion uh, versus women's rights division that is uh, actually exists there but I mean I wouldn't say that I'm like completely 
um, you know, hopeless when it comes to, like, there are religious leaders in this country who are not thinking mm -hmm. like, Super. you know, like um, the uh, rest of the religious leaders who are, for example, very conservative about women's rights. There are religious leaders who are very open about cooperating, even about EU, NATO, women's mm -hmm. rights, I don't know, like child rights, etc. And they exist. And actually, I think that we have to make them our partners. And like, we have to find the ways to talk to them because and also um, uh, female, uh, we don't have uh, like female religious leaders as such, but we have females, I mean women in uh, our orthodox religion who are like serving God and church and who are quite open-minded and very, uh, you know, open to women's rights and uh, they are resource which could be used. I think it's like a two-way street. I mean, not only criticism should be heard, but also sort of like, you know, uh, attempts of cooperation and talking to them to them and finding common grounds because then you know it all leads to then messaging and like basically we have to you know strategically communicate with the religious leaders mm. uh, on these kind of issues and Rusudango Syriza is yeah. a very good example exactly. of their mm -hmm. woman a leader in the Baptist yeah. church I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah absolutely she, was, yeah. She, I is, yeah. she was awarded also at the mm -hmm. uh, yes equality, the equality movement. Yeah. yes <laughs> and she's uh, in, she indeed does like incredible things and so like that could be done in orthodox mm -hmm. uh, Georgian Orthodox Church as well um, and now to move away from the church towards the gatekeepers for political participation and this of course is parties and Elena you brought up quotas but um, putting quotas aside uh, well we do see luckily the majority of Georgians at least tell us uh, that they would like to see more women in elected office so 85 percent uh, believe that there should be at least 30 percent in mm -hmm. uh, in Parliament mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. parties are of course are these gatekeepers because you know they nominate women I mean of course women can also run as independents but that's that's a limited option so what can we do to and particularly since we have two party people here, how can we get around this idea of, you know, for example, sometimes I hear from party leadership that, you know, women aren't interested. So in a way, it's, you know, blaming women for their lack of participation, rather than finding out why women don't want to join the party. So what do you think parties can do just generally to create an environment where women do want to run and want to participate? Mark? Sure. Uh, so I think um, it's uh, there are several aspects to it. Well, first of all, uh, the uh, way parties on their end are looking for people who can win elections is this is especially uh, the, the gender issue comes in, especially when we talk about the majoritarian seats and majoritarian yes. candidates, Absolutely. because uh, the main interest for the polit political party is to win as many seats as possible, and therefore they are looking for people who can win those seats and uh, win those uh, districts, electoral districts. Uh, there is, on one hand, there is a perception that people, especially in regions, are not inclined for 
uh, voting for women. I think this is more a stereotype mm. rather than a fact, but this is uh, thinking of this uh, sort. Another thing is that it is very important for the political parties to attract those candidates who have some resources, who have some, who can have some mm -hmm. financial contribution into the political process, into the campaigning process. And it is uh, like a vicious cycle because women have much less access to money, to funds, you know, to wealth, and men have much more. And this has another layers of reasons behind it. So uh, this is why I'm saying it's like a vicious cycle, mm -hmm. because on one hand, women are much more limited in terms of having um, just freedom and money to run their campaigns, to finance their own campaigns. On the other hand, parties are looking for people who can not only be acceptable for the local constituency, but also have uh, ability to have some also financial engagement in this process. And there is a third aspect to that, which is, I think, no less important. It's how parties make decisions internally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is very, very important because our political parties, uh, most of them, if not all of them, are uh, parties which have uh, which do not have this well-established mechanism of promotion internally. So um, the uh, merit-based promotion system internally. So it's uh, probably it is because of the time history. We do not have, we have only three decades of uh, political system existing in this country, part of this which was even not three decades, I would say. So um, it's uh, the developing uh, proper party system requires some time, and I think that it's a, it, it is also a matter of um, uh, of progress in the future that parties will get to the point that they are better established, that they are tested in years by multiple elections, and that they understand and realize that more merit-based opportunity promotion system is there in the party, the better for the party itself. And um, uh, so these three aspects that parties are more looking forward for male candidates because it is considered that they will be voted better, that male candidates usually have more access to resources, and then decision-making system internally in the party is also something that not only in my party, but in, I, I think in many of the, in most of the bigger parties, I think that it's something that in combination excludes a lot of good women actually from the process because uh, wherever I have traveled, I have seen a very impressive women also in Sacrebulos or just in the party offices who do huge amount of work, who are very active, who communicate with the local constituency a lot, who are very dedicated, you know, and um, I think that there are people saying that there are no women, and yeah. this is the reason why we do not have uh, them on our list is not the valid argument. I think that we have never really looked for the women, women and proper women um, for this process. This is why 
uh, I understand all the arguments that might exist against quotas, but I still think that uh, yes, with the time, maybe in uh, in a century or in like seven decades or eight decades, we will, we will, yeah, we will, we will, we will get to the point when we will manage to not artificially but naturally overcome uh, the obstacles that are out there. But when there is a mechanism to have very vivid, visible results and outcomes through some temporary artificial uh, interferences, I think that it is a chance which mm. needs to be taken and used. So I was... Um, I was my I, I, I went through this transformation internally myself because I was a person who was very much for the women's rights but was thinking that it should come naturally it should come by changing the public attitudes changing the pol how politics works but it's then you realize that it's like a lifetime or even beyond effort you know so um and then i changed my attitude and i i decide i became a big supporter of the mandatory gender quotas and arguments that we hear against the mandatory gender quotas is that okay like unprofessional women will get on the board but like nobody judges the professionalism of the male who get on the board, you know, because they are measured with different criteria. And there is much less um, demands towards the man in the politics. And there is all the possible highest standards that are applied to women in the politics. And they are measured with different things. And uh, these... Um, expectations do they need to be perfect like they need to be flawless they need to i don't know they do not have right to make mistakes and um uh, this is how women are measured and there are very different standards that are applied to men in politics and one last thing that i want to say here is that um i have read that in different different researches but i have also witnessed that women in a decision-making positions are much more inclined to hard work and much less inclined to uh, anything that is uh, away from a good governance like corruption or the personal interests or stuff like that that makes political politics uh, that gives the politics reputation of being a dirty business, you know. So I think that politics has this reputation just because one argument, like one argument or one portion of the of this uh, reputation of the politics that is, it is dirty, is that because it's only boys' business, you know. And um, so the equal representation of women and men would also change how politics is perceived and how politics works in the different societies. And Georgia is not an exception there. There is, I think that most of the societies are going through the same discussions Absolutely. and same talks and uh, women everywhere are striving for um, uh, the equal rights and equal opportunities, not only in politics, but in every other field of life. Absolutely. Um, so, Elena, uh, yeah. in terms of parties and, and getting yeah. them to nominate more women, and also I know that your position is against uh, quotas as well. So what are some other 
ways we can improve the situation? Yeah, first of all, uh, I think it's extremely important, whether it's reality or not, it's different, but extremely important to uh, uh, make sure that women's rights is not just the point of concern for women, mm -hmm. because it's a hu fundamental human right. It's not about uh, just identity group or just a kind of a gender group that should. If we want to have a free and democratic and open society uh, with respect of human rights, that's point point of concern for everyone. And I think we are moving towards that. that that's where I meant that it's not a marginal issue anymore. Uh, now, uh, I think it's extreme for the parties. And I, I don't think I'm going to talk too much about quotas because it can it can really you know swallow our discussion <laughs> yeah uh but uh in a, in tamara said she changed her mind so i have a chance of perfection in the future <laughs> <laughs> so uh but uh but um, now what i see in the party I, i'll just tell you the story from in inside uh, party uh the way the uh, decisions are taken about the party lists for the parliament. I think it's totally intransparent and undemocratic in most of the parties. It's not merit-based, it's not transparent, it's, um, uh, it, it doesn't take into account many uh, important issues, but it's only about strong men in the parties uh, who care about their personal goals. But it, so it's more about um, democracy inside the party, which doesn't concern, it's not anti-women, just anti-women right, mood, but right. it's just lack of democracy. Now, there is also, uh, and that's the impression that I got from uh, since I'm in the party, there is, of, of course, a macho culture in mm -hmm. the party. The way they argue, the way... Um, the decisions are taken. There is a macho culture, which I'm fighting, uh, and I'm not <laughs> I don't, I the least the successful same. person. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, uh, we can change uh, uh, that culture um, uh, at least. And though, of course, I mean, we have financial uh, uh, incentives for parties to have women, but it's it's clear it's not right. Uh, it's not enough. It hasn't changed uh, dramatically um, uh, the uh, situation. But I think we should generally move towards changing. And we don't have a tradition of parties. I mean, our parties are, uh, I mean, there is lack of ideological uh, coherence in, in the parties. Uh, this parties ideologies change uh, in, 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 in the political context a lot. And we don't, we don't have long histories of um, uh, parties. So I think we have to think about how to generally improve the uh, and strengthen the uh, parties which care about their reputation, their tradition, their history, and uh, that would also change. Now, quotas very, very, very um, uh, shortly. I, I've known the countries that have, and I won't name them here, that they have quotas, but it hasn't changed uh, the situation, which doesn't mean that it's excluded. And even if I'm ideologically against it, because I see it discriminative towards me, I don't want to be elected because I'm a woman. I want. I. I, I want to, you know. Um, I, I want the process to be merit-based. But if I see a pragmatic argument that it would change situation in Georgia, that I, I could really change my mind. But what I see is that we will uh, have the more uh, just women 
that won't change, make a difference in, in the parliament. Very much like the men and women we have now, they don't care about that. We have many women in the parliament that I, I would say even damage the uh, women's rights issues. I won't name them, of course, uh, with their statements and with their uh, attitudes. So, again, not much about quotas at, at, at this point, but I think that's something that we, sh we need to continue discussion in, in the country. I think you tapped on a really important point because it isn't just about women. And when you have a club or any institution, it's a natural sort of human instinct to gravitate towards people that are like you, whether we're talking about you talked about a macho culture, but whether you're talking about men uh, or you're talking about a certain education or a certain background, we tend to, without even maybe consciously, like to be around other people that that look like us. That's an <laughs> institutional creep, and we oh, all do yeah. it to some degree, yeah. consciously or subconsciously. And so it's, it's really about diversity and representation. So it's not just about mm -hmm. getting more women. It's about getting a broader, diverse more diverse too. group mm -hmm. of representatives that reflect Georgian society. Um, I don't know mm -hmm. if Tana, yeah, you I would like to add a couple of things, uh, points about quotas. Um, one thing is that, you know, um, uh, since there are up to 100 countries in the world that have some kind of like, you know, some sort of quotas. However, you know, there are countries, for example, like France, which has this parity principle. I, I mean, and so from what I have seen in France or the, or I haven't, but I've read a lot about it and I've seen is that, you know, France through quotas, France has not really deteriorated its um, sort of this parity, existence of parity means that many women with like um, political science background started to enter politics, which which is a very interesting finding that because I mean, these are professional women who are from like day one preparing themselves to go into politics and like, you know, become politicians, you know, and when they compared the, uh, the performance of quota women and women sort of like, you know, elected by quota and women who were there without quota, there is um, there is no uh, difference in terms of um, uh, difference in terms of uh, legislative activities. I mean, they do the same. Like they they work. It's not like the argument of token women. The argument of like you know women not being uh, professional enough. To me, somehow. Um, invalid in this situation because I mean, who, the women who entered the parliament uh, and local governments there, I mean, they happen to be, you know, with professional background in political sciences and very determined to become to be in politics. I mean, to me, this is a very big thing. As for the argument, as for they think that you know the quotas are created for the purposes of increasing a numeric number of women in the parliament. It's not created for the purpose of remaking politics or like making politics any more softer or, you know, nicer or more beautiful or less beautiful. I mean, women are or underrepresented and if the, I mean my thinking is that if that's the only way sort of to naturally increase women's representation to, to increase women's representation in the parliament, then, you know, why not? Because we don't have the same kind of argument to men. Like, you know, men men make politics for centuries and like we, we are okay with what they make. And then when there are women- Are you? Well, you know, people are resistant to change, right? I mean, people are people are questioning, well, you know, what if women come and, you know, politics will become worse because they are token women. Mm. Like, I don't buy this argument mm -hmm. somehow because, you know, quotas are not created to make a politics uh, better. It's created to make politics an equal. No, I round. think that's the natural result of that 
uh, of having more 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 women in politics. It's also yeah. makes politics eventually different Maybe from time, yeah. But honestly, different but not softer and nicer because no, it has nothing to yeah. do exactly. with that. Absolutely. I I would say it's sometimes even tougher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I think the point is is that the more and back to institutions, the more diverse institutions are, the more innovative they are. The more yeah. representative yeah. and from different, not just different genders, different orientations, different religions, different incomes and backgrounds, yeah. you get more creativity and more innovation. Um, but I wanted to ask mm -hmm. Anna, one of the things that definitely obviously has happened in Georgia and elsewhere is that so women, you know, do approach the parties, they do get nominated, they yeah. get elected into office. And unfortunately, they, you know, in politics, we all have to pull up our mm -hmm. big girl pants and face criticism and attacks, and that's normal. Yeah. But here and in other places, there's an additional layer Absolutely. of abuse. Yeah. And, um, you know, what are your thoughts about this? I mean, whether it's the video leakages or even just language that's being yeah. used, <laughs> do you think that's discouraging yeah. to other young women who might be looking? Uh, absolutely, but I'd like to start from Glotus. <laughs> I believe in science. And science, scientific evidence tells us that there has to be at least 30% of women in order to change politics. So when you see less than 30%, those women might obey, and they do obey those macho culture, and it's more probable. But if they get bigger there, I mean, it's more chance That's that politics... That's why number, increasing so number. It's science. It yeah. is not um, something our... Yeah. And another thing, we have made uh, constitutional amendments. Mm -hmm. We have a new equality provision, which is substantial equality versus formal equality. And exactly. substantial equality means positive measures. So quotas are part of new constitutional reality. Either we will acknowledge it or not. However, I'm very hopeful if still when there are no quotas, I see a huge development. Mm. Those women who attend here, I witness that they every day they work on the uh, strengthening of um, economic, cultural, social rights of women. For example, some months ago, they adopted law against sexual harassment yes. that is directly related to labor discrimination mm -hmm. ban, which means that women in the society are getting stronger. We all are getting stronger. And this will definitely also strengthen our civil political rights. Mm -hmm. So we will get there. It only depends how much time we need. Yeah. And another positive thing is that I see these women as role models. A lot of women who observe your action are encouraged to be brave. I'm also encouraged to be brave, so thank you for that. At the same time, I totally agree with the fact that when those women who are beginning their careers in politics get these verbal assaults and sexism discourages them a lot. That's why we women rights activists are very loud and vocal about it and we criticize all the time politicians who do that. And sometimes, I should confess, we also put pressure on women who are currently in politics so that they are also vocal. But sometimes we all forget about these power structures because, as you both mentioned, there are pressure on these women as well. And they have to survive pressure from us 
and pressure from within structure. That's why I started from evidence. There is evidence which tells us, scientific evidence, that we women should remain allies. We don't lose each other. Mm -hmm. If I see that my women ally, who is already in politics, is not doing something, I have to meet her and have a cup of coffee together. <laughs> because we will definitely find reasons of us being in different positions. And the, at the end of the day, we all got ourselves, each other. So I totally support those women. I believe that they will succeed and we should be supporting them from the outside. And well, it will be tomorrow or day after tomorrow, but a lot of women will get in the politics. Yeah. So, <laughs> sure. on, the, on this issue of uh, sort of gender-based attacks against politicians, yeah. I know that both of you have experienced that to some degree. Do you see that it's improving somewhat. Um, I mean, I seem to notice the videos don't have quite the kick they used to and that they're more easily dismissed, or do you still feel that this is a form of sort of political terrorism <clears throat> against? Uh, well, I, I think the, the, um, the, there are men who are using it, uh, and not only men, but women too. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, I haven't seen surveys whether this kind of uh, incidents increase or decrease, but one thing is clear that uh, politicians are cautious and and are trying to be more um, attentive to to and self control uh, mm -hmm. because of the reactions because of that's why I meant it's not a marginal issue anymore because there are reactions and I think it has partly to do together with the activists it has partly to do with social media which makes it you know louder mm -hmm. tougher and reactions are heard uh, closer uh, so I think um, I think we are still improving uh, in that yeah yeah if I also may mm. well uh, first of all we as we all know we had very in my opinion, this tragic events of the, the personal life of politicians mm -hmm. being used uh, against them. Uh, and um, so it is horrible. So the fact that something like that can exist, and it's usually women who are targeted, be targeted because of uh, because of the um, social cultural mm -hmm. attitudes, right? Yeah. So right. men would never get as much damage for its personal life wherever there is than a woman mm -hmm. and that has been uh, somebody tried to use that uh, in politics and this is horrific on one hand on the other hand I remember um, I was discussing it with someone that when uh, it happened for the first time the attitude of media back then and attitude of media today mm -hmm. is very different. Mm -hmm. I remember mm -hmm. very credible information agencies publishing video with the name on mm -hmm. it of a person, you know, and then immediately there was a very big pushback from some groups, from mm -hmm. some institutions, from them, some people. And I think that eventually uh, media started understanding better that this is not uh, something, some process that might got media engaged or 
uh, or media cannot ally with those people who are trying to target women politicians in this way. And this is one dynamic that I observe, but then there is another concerning trend that I see, and this is related with the social media. As much as social media has its pros, pros it has its cons Absolutely. also. And the, uh, the social media, I have been subject to horrible cyberbullying. I think that a lot of well, female politicians have been subject to uh, cyberbullying. And it's not just bullying, it's just sometimes can get really horrific forms of life threats, threats. rape threats, this kind of uh, things. And um, it has no limits you know, because people use fake accounts for that. People use bots uh, uh, for, for that. You cannot even identify who does that. And the scale can be massive. And it puts you under impression that you did something for which the whole world hates you and wants to kill you because mm -hmm. of some comment that you made. And it, it really, uh, my feeling is that I am asking some of my male colleagues whether they have experienced something like that. Yeah, they might get criticized, mm. but it never gets such a sexist forms yeah, when yeah. it is when men are criticized. Men usually get criticism. Yeah. Women get sexist, targeted, horrible bullying. And this um, the social media in that can be a good ally to those people. Who, uh, who, who are aiming at doing something mm -hmm. like that. And we have witnessed that from different actors, from multiple uh, actors, right? So some Georgian merch or some political parties, even my colleagues from the parliament, you know? So it's, um, uh, it's uh, something that definitely uh, requires a woman to be stronger than anybody can imagine because um, I, I cannot imagine a young woman who has not experienced uh, something like that previously ending up herself in this kind of environment would immediately discourage her mm -hmm. yeah. from everything, you know, from even getting closer to any uh, decision-making position. So it requires a lot of inner strength and somehow in a way people who are going through this, some my female colleagues or myself, no matter which party, no matter for me it does not have any importance at all who they represent but uh, they are not only some of them not only the victims of this kind of attitude but some of them are even survivors i would say you know mm -hmm. so which is uh, a different condition of what how how much person has suffered due to this mm -hmm. so um i think that we all have to thank them definitely Absolutely. because there are people who are on their own life, on their skin, yeah. are taking the hardship of what should clean the way yeah. for women in the future, Absolutely. for those women who yeah. are coming. And there are very concrete victims who have to survive this today in order to something like for other women in the future to make that impossible, yeah. to, 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 to defend them who are coming, mm -hmm. you know? So I think that, um, 
This is something which is, um, in most of the cases, invisible from the outside. Absolutely. We try not to complain about yeah. this, not yeah. to look weak, you know? Yeah. We so know. This, is, uh, this is something that you would not speak about because you right. do not yeah. want to be appear like complaining about this, like Absolutely. someone who cannot cope with that, you know? Instead, you mm -hmm. want to show yourself as strong as someone who will not be defeated by these kind of attitudes. But then it also requires enormous internal emotions, energy, and sometimes suffering of your family members yeah. because this is where the cyberbullying does not know limits. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it spreads over your parents, it spreads over your spouse, your children, Absolutely. and there is an immediate circle of person who gets really affected by this disgusting actions, in my mm -hmm. opinion. So I agree and I absolutely share the attitude that there are issues where no matter what is uh, what divides us, that you are f coming from the civil society, yeah. I come from the ruling party, Elena comes from the mm -hmm. uh, opposition party, there are issues which where these kind of divisions do not matter. Absolutely. It's the opposite, actually. There should be things which unite that unite us, because different people experience these hardships from on different levels, but all of them need support. Absolutely. And you're right. It's such a silent problem because if you do complain about it, then yeah. you're vulnerable to a whole other kind of stereotype. Mm -hmm. You know. Absolutely. So, for example, I mean, you know. When Hillary Clinton teared up at one campaign event because she was exhausted, it was catastrophic. Whereas Bill Clinton could weep yeah. openly at all times. <laughs> but I, think, yeah. I mean, to be fair, and let, let me, though I agree that we go through the stresses, and I agree also that there are personal examples that strengthen yeah. and matter a lot. But I think men are also under the pressure of stereotypes because men, men who complain and who mm. look weak mm. uh, because of some pressure are also under this uh, pressure. Wow. So, and children too. And we as politicians or people, journalists or people who are publicly active, I think uh, are all equal. Well, we can argue how equal, but I think it's not only about women, but it's, mm -hmm. um, it's about public figures uh, and it's about children and, and men bullying, and yeah, bullying and uh, yeah which is uh, um, yeah social media has of course contributed to that uh, but let's change that culture well, I think well we can actually <coughs> we can all say that we have vulnerabilities of course I have vulnerability as a woman when things concerns time management sure. To be a mother or a professional, yeah. I'm really compromising a lot. Mm -hmm. And I have to talk about it. Sometimes people hate when I say that, come on, people, help me to survive. I want to have profession and my life and family and children, etc. And, well, sometimes people may say, oh, why she's complaining all the time about leaving her job at like 12 or p.m. or something. But, well... I still say that I have a right mm -hmm. to request my place, my seat at the table, and my vulnerabilities will not be used against me because, well, I have legal mechanisms to defend my rights thanks to these women. So I go to the I go to the court to have a, I have a court hearing, and I'm so happy about it. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> it's interesting on this issue of the public criticism. I agree. I, I, even since the time I've been here, not very long, and there have been a sort of scattering of these public attacks, these video mm -hmm. footages or whatnot. And just, you know, 
more the more recent ones, people are quick to defend the victim, yeah. which didn't see uh, initially. The public's reaction is disgust, not at the victim, mm -hmm. but at what's happening, right? And I remember that was, it was really, I, I worked with those politicians in Malaysia, and there was this member, par woman who was running for, against an incumbent male member of parliament who had been there for 20 plus years, and she was this young woman, and he tried to insult her. Like, how could anyone vote for someone who pees sitting down? Uh, he lost. <laughs> Like, that was it. Like, society mm -hmm. was like, no, no, that doesn't work anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. no. you're, you're a gross old man. Uh, We're going to vote for young Teresa. Uh, She's still there, by the way, in yeah. Parliament. But, I mean, I think you're right that when the public starts, but that doesn't help that online, secretive, behind yeah. closed doors, yeah. which you're right, affects a lot. But I want to quickly, I know that I've taken a lot of your time, mm -hmm. but one thing... I think is really important um, and something I think about a lot and Teona and I have talked a lot about is what we can do um, to reach people at a younger age and to really empower mm -hmm. girls yeah. mm -hmm. and um, you know how do we build their confidence and leadership skills and I've noted and maybe I'm incorrect but some of the formative activities of my childhood like competitive team sports and Girl Scouts and debate clubs and camping and all these things that really meant a lot to me not all girls in Georgia have access to those sort of mm -hmm. activities. Not that they're limited to those activities, but what can we do to reach girls to build a new generation of leaders? Well, I personally think this, this goes down to the education system, and it goes down to, like, um, making sports as part of, like, you know, like, it is part of education, but, you know, emphasizing and making, like, sports, competitive sports part of education, like, having, uh, having like, um, uh, classes on subjects which uh, are completely new, such as, you know, reproductive rights and civic rights and this and that. I mean, we have to talk to, like, equality, gender equality. I mean, kids should be getting this information from proper sources, and these proper sources are is state which is a you know like you know behind the education system and teachers and like specialists who are working in these fields i mean um that's why i think that you know to reach younger generation to make them more open to equality and this kind of things and to empower them more i think we have to start with like you know education i mean formal education such as you know trainings and having me go somewhere do a lecture in some village somewhere in the mountains is one of thing we need to have a systemic mm. approach to this therefore i personally think that we should be talking to all of these issues that i listed in the schools with the kids from kindergarten like i literally i talk to my child about this like when a child asks you know things that you know the world opens up to her like uh you know i explain these things and i want the education system to do the same Hmm. And I'm not sure if that will be the case in my child's, you know, school years. <laughs> let's hope so. Yeah, let's hope so. Well, I, uh, I have actually, I'm spending um, uh, a big portion of my time with youth. So I decided so to dedicate some time, uh, my working time, to students or to the uh, uh, to to the school children, but uh, in the higher uh, grades, and. You know, um, I definitely, uh, it was, to me, it was at some point even shocking because these kids are paying attention to the things that I would never 
be able to pay attention to in my school years when I was their age. For example, the recently there was I had some meeting with the school children from Tripoli and a region which uh, where I did not expect to have much gender equality education or civic education. And, you know, like st students were telling me that um, our class teacher has divided class in boys and girls, and girls have to do some things in the room, like clean up or something, oh. which boys are exempted from. And they said, we do not want that mm -hmm. to work like that. And I remember that in my high school, it was the same. I was, girls were responsible really? for, yeah. you know, cleaning, cleaning. the cupboard, cupboard and the like doing some where boys were not. And, but they were complaining about this, you know? And it's good that they were yeah, complaining absolutely. about this, that they noticed that there is some work that needs to be done uh, by the uh, students, but that has to, that work needs to be equally shared by everyone, no matter what their gender is, whether they are girls or boys. And um, so I see more and more uh, these young people being interested in the gender equality uh, topics, sometimes even not realizing that it is about gender equality. Mm -hmm. Sometimes Just being unable to call the names, you know, that it is about gender, but they speak about the things which in basis is the gender equality, you know? Mm -hmm. So itself is a gender, gender equality matters. And so I do not know what really has contributed to that, probably many things like yeah, probably some of the campaigns that are taking place probably some of the trainings there um thanks Social to interna international organizations who are funding this kind of civic uh, mm -hmm. uh, education programs, uh, maybe social media, maybe the just uh, like the times are changing. But these young students, these very young children have the demand for equal opportunities. They have demand for this, you know, so and they were asking which professions do you think we should pick? Like what would be the best for our future? And um, this, uh, we all know that this division in the uh, life happens at very early age when girls have perception that they cannot do STEM and they cannot do science and math and technology and those pick those professions that will will be well paid, you know, and after years will make them rich and we might make them very demanded on the uh, on the market. But uh, I agree with Tiana that education system uh, has a capacity to do much more mm -hmm. there. But I also see the um, uh, demand coming from the children. And it's like in economy, like there is a demand yeah, supply. supply. There is always they have to match because otherwise it does not work, right? Mm -hmm. So as this demand is increasing in these young girls, in these young students, and not only girls, boys want to speak about this also. Mm -hmm. Like it's not that only girls are speaking about it. Boys are open to discuss this, mm -hmm. you know? They are also interested in these conversations. And I think that as demand grows, state will have no other thing to do rather than to supply, you know, and rather than to 
match the expectations and rather than to deliver something that uh, the public demand is growing on. So I'm not, I do not want to be overly optimistic and say that this is true for every student all over the country and that everybody understands that. But the prominent students, those who are um, observed by others, you know, and who others are looking at because they are studying well, they have the best grades in the class and others for our for others they have some reputation are also paying attention to these kind of things and I think that this is a very good dynamic. Whoever contributed to this deserves a huge gratitude from us and I believe that with the time, hopefully not too much time, but hopefully, because my my girl is also a, mm. uh, in the high school, I also want the same for my child. I want her to, yes, I can talk to her, I can explain a lot, but I also want the system which mm -hmm. does the same thing to, yeah. towards every child. Yeah. And I think that um, hopefully rather, soon, rather sooner than later, this supply will also mm -hmm. be there yeah. because I see the demand growing. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, uh, it was a very good point and I think it's of course the sign of the improvement that we had uh, with the story about Kibuli that she said. But I have, <clears throat> I, I just want to make a personal comparison. Uh, uh, I was ridiculed recently by uh, some of the politicians for playing football in the childhood, which was funny for me of course because I, I don't get it as a, something that can I mean, it's not ridiculous. I just wanted to play football, and I played football. <laughs> but, uh, but, but it's. I mean, it, it for some, it's something that you know, it's it's something strange. Now, I have a, a girl, a daughter in the first grade, and she goes into a very good school, and I chose those that school from that perspective to where she's playing football, and 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 she doesn't even know that it's yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, she does something special, and she she plays karate. Um, she does karate, or how do you say it? And, and rugby, and, mm -hmm. and 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 this. Now I have a son who loves to play with princesses like Natalie, and uh, who loves the girl toys and mm -hmm. this kind. And I felt that he has a problem in the kindergarten. Because it's not an outspoken problem, but I thought that he would choose what to take to the kindergarten, what not, because uh, because the culture there is a, a different. So we are in this. Uh, by these examples, I want to say, from time perspective, and uh, and also currently, we are in the time of transformation. And we, of course, personal examples, social media, education, it, including political. Uh, uh, pushing for educational reforms, uh, sexual education schools, mm -hmm. this kind of issues that should be pushed to make sure that um, uh, things change from very, very early because it starts absolutely. at like three, four, five yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. There's a wonderful record that you need to play for your son. It's called, there's an album that we grew up with in the hippie 70s in New York, and it was called Free to Be You and Me. Have you mm -hmm. heard this? It's for children. And each is a little song and a little story about about equality. And it's about boys and girls and everything. And, and one of them is about Tommy wants a doll. Mm -hmm. And how his parents and his father were very much against that. And ultimately his grandmother uh, gave him a doll to play with. But it was, it was about breaking down just positions of tolerance full stop. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think you're absolutely right that this and in particularly even when we're talking specifically about women and gender, if it doesn't include boys, yeah, then what are we talking about? Exactly. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I am 
actually spend more time talking to my son about these issues than even my daughter, because that's where a lot of it's going to come from. Um, well, this has been a very interesting discussion, and I really want to thank you. I think we could probably go on all afternoon. I had questions on harassment and domestic violence and all these other issues, so we'll perhaps just have to do another pod. But I just am so grateful to you all uh, for coming today. And um, that concludes today's podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.